you can prove that's a good game, but you drive, yeah, it was very brain, it was very deep. crazy. Like yeah, I think people who haven't thought about making games might f- think that it would be very difficult to make something deep, but yeah. I mean, making that game deep wasn't that hard. It was just making it uh, bearable to play. Hi, everybody. This is Soren Johnson, and you're listening to Designer Notes, a podcast about why we make games. Today, we are talking to veteran game designer David Serlin, David was the lead designer of Super Street Fighter II Turbo HD Remix and is also known for his board game designs, such as Yomi and Puzzle Strike. So how I came to make this video game is uh, very unusual. I did a, a podcast uh, two years ago or something where I said, hey, I've got this idea for a simple fighting game, a fighting game that's much easier to play than normal. Right. There's not really anything like this but it would probably capture the fundamentals of what's important in the genre i'm just going to describe it in this podcast and put it out there as the thing that might be of interest to people uh and i i thought you know maybe somebody would hear that and go hey let's make that game Mm -hmm. or not i don't know then months went by and this guy uh named final atomic buster (laughs) his online name that's it's a zangief super move okay okay so final atomic buster or fab uh, I had worked with him briefly years before. He he showed up and said, "Hey, uh, your podcast. I saw that podcast you did a while ago. Uh, we should make that game. Mm-hmm. You, you should have asked me about this game. I I can make this game for you." And I was like, "What really? Who, who, what what is this about?" And he said, "So he works with uh, not not the company Unity, but you know the the game engine Unity. Yeah. There's a plugin for it called the Universal Fighting Engine, which." is a toolkit that helps people make fighting games wow. in Unity. I was like, wait, you work on that? That's your thing? He's like, yeah, yeah, I, I'm one of the you know people that, that does that. So I could use that as a starting point. I could implement your idea. Maybe two days I could just get it working as a prototype. And you could see, because you could see if if it's good. Uh, and I was like, so you, uh, from the podcast, you know what I would want? Mm-hmm. And, and he said, no, actually, I didn't listen to the podcast. I just read the title of it, that you wanted to make a simple <laughs> fighting game. And I was like, wow, the title? I should just make titles of podcasts all the time in case somebody cares about it. But he's like, look, it's you wanted a simple fighting game. We can make a complicated fighting game. Pretty sure, no matter what your idea is, can I can mock it up in two days. Yeah. So I told him my idea, and he's like, yes, no problem. He did come back in two days. Mm-hmm. Very un unusual Usual, that yeah. a person would say they could do a thing like as a volunteer and then really do it and then do a great job at it yeah. i said this looks really promising i mean it's early and it has a, it's horrible in all sorts of ways but you've got at the core of what i was looking for so let's polish this let's polish that let's add this let's add that and we kept going and then we kind of showed more people we're like is this like a joke game there's not enough to it is it fun how people, simple is I mean, we'll jump back to some of the, the board games a little bit, so we might as well just talk about this now. But like I mean, how how simple is it? Like So there's left and you can move your character left and right, uh-huh. but there's no up or down, which is super unusual. Okay. There's a jump button. You mean so there's no crouch? No, there's no crouch. Okay. There's there's a jump button. There's a jump button. Alright. There's what does up do in a normal fighting game? I mean, jumps. Know. Normally up would jump. So it's just two buttons that do the same thing? Sorry, in a normal fighting game. In okay, a normal you said fight, there's no up and down. In but our there, game. Yes. In a normal is, fighting game, there is up and down. Right, and up yeah, is jump, jump and down is crouch. Okay. So in your game, there's no crouch. Right. But there's still jump? 
There's still jump. It's just on a button. It's just on a button. Okay. You All could right. put it on up if you want. Okay. But after testing it a bunch, we feel that it actually feels more natural as a button. Okay. okay. It, it frees up your left hand on keyboard. You can play it on many different devices, but if you play it on a keyboard, it's kind of nice that you only have to use two fingers to go left and right instead yep. of trying to wiggle the WASD, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the jump, there's a, uh, started out as two other buttons besides jump, attack and special. And after a couple months or something, we decided, okay, we'll dial the complexity up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now there's going to be attack, special one, and special two. Mm-hmm. There's also always a super move that you could do by pressing two buttons. And along the way, we thought, well, we'll just give you another button for super. So you don't, you can press two if you want. Maybe, I'm not sure if we'll keep that, but we'll make space bar super or R1. So, okay. so, so that's all the buttons is... So Jump, attack, attack special, special one, special two, and then there's just a button for super, which mm-hmm. would normally be a combo in another fighting game. Basically, yeah, it would be probably something like quarter circle on the joystick, quarter circle again, and a button or two. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Oh, re- really, I'm not kidding. Like, <laughs> the, the thing that I have never done. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, or you could play press space bar in our game. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Uh, when you're in the air, your moves are different. Uh, so we've actually been able to sneak in a few more moves that way. For example, when you're on the ground and you pick uh, Grave, who's like the Ryu-type kind of normal middle-of-the-road character, Special One throws a fireball, but if you're in the air, Special One, he will spin around like a hurricane kick type thing. Right. So you, the point is different attacks. Like Even though it's one button, it's a different move in the air on the ground. Okay. Uh, most fighting games don't have that, so we've sort of snuck in extra moves okay. by having more air moves. Right, okay. All right, so you basically started by, like, how much can we possibly strip away? Oh, yeah. And then you learned, I guess, what you could add. Yeah, we stripped away even more than I've let on. Uh, Another thing was, so Dive Kick is like a joke fighting game that's Mm -hmm. stripped away basically everything, Mm -hmm. and it impressed me so much. I was like, wow, there's more to this Dive Kick game than I thought there would be. What if instead of taking a normal fighting game and scaling down, we took Dive Kick and scaled up? Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, walking back and forward, I would actually like that. I would like to add that to Dive Kick. You can't do that on dive kick. <laughs> no, you can't. You can only <laughs> you can jump and dive kick, which will move you forward, uh-huh. or you can just press kick instead of jump, uh-huh. and your character kind of bounces back. So you have this wonky way of barely being able to move. And I was like, well, what if we could just move like normally? Right, like normal. <laughs> and what if we had some moves on the ground? Uh, another thing that dive kick has is that it only has one hit point. If you hit them once, once. you win. Right. And I thought, well, I, I would like to to have more complexity than that. So what's the least we could add to have more? Well, two hit points, right? If you had two hit points, now you can hit someone and there's still more round to play. So Uh it means you could get in different situations. Like you could knock them down and now there's a wake-up game and Mm -hmm. gameplay that can surround that. Can you hurt hurt someone for two damage in one action? Well, this was a thought experiment at this point. We're like, could it be two? Yeah, so maybe supers would do two. But we also really wanted to have... Some combos, not not because they're they're not difficult at all. It's super easy, but because it allows some moves to be basically better than others. Like, or okay, if I hit you very solidly from close, I really deserve more of a payoff than if I kind of barely accidentally hit you as a glancing blow from far. So mm-hmm. combos allow that. But as soon as you have combos, it's like, wait, so they all do two. Like, we kind of needed more hit points to make the game work. So we scaled it up to. Uh, um, so we scaled it up to four hit points for a while. And we kind of 
Or is that right? Four, five. Sorry, we actually decided to scale it up to uh, five hit points to kind of make the game system work, and then eventually realized we wanted to have a fast ninja character that had fewer hit points than everyone else, and we're mm. like, okay, but it kind of breaks down at four, so we should make that character have five and make six the normal amount. So that's the, as of today, uh, the yeah. normal amount. Yeah, is we've, we've scaled up to six hit points, which is right. totally crazy and not anything like any other fighting game does. So they're discrete chunks. Yeah. Um, I love having discrete chunks in It's gone over super in well in testing because people are like, oh, I get it. Like, yeah. I can see exactly what's going yeah. on. You have these states, and like I am this in this state now, and now that I know them in this state. I might want to play differently than before. Whereas it's like, oh, you're. I assume it's normally fighting game like zero out of a hundred, basically, or uh, I assume there's lots. It's of usually more like zero to like seventy-eight thousand. <laughs> no, really, uh, that's that's a real number of hit points. Seventy-eight thousand, but it's all hidden. You can't even represent that in a. And it's like in that many pixels. No, right. Also, there's a bunch of tricks going on with scaling, like. Uh, if, normally in a fighting game... Like, let, why bother? How can that possibly... <laughs> how can 78,000 possibly mean anything different from 7,800? Well, it could be 7,800, too. Different games do it different ways. Some games it would be 7,800. Or 500. Or it's There's no standard. Yeah, I mean, I guess... Alright, this is sorry. <laughs> this is so baffling to me. Like, I mean, you know, if you're talking... The only reason you'd go above 100 is if, like, the rounding difference between... I mean, there's just no reason to go that high. Anyway, whatever. You're, you're not going to be arguing with me. It's just so baffling, so go ahead. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff that's obfuscated with uh, hit points, usually. Like, um, the you, you probably would assume that the hit points would be displayed on a linear scale. Right. But they is are, it, like, logarithmic or something? No, it's not logarithmic, but it's normally not a linear scale. Okay. You, usually, like, let's say... Uh, okay, in, in Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo, like the or HG Remix, when I worked on, if Ryu does jumps in and goes like fierce, fierce again, fireball, that's a big damaging combo in that uh-huh. game. It does like almost fifty percent. Yeah, but if you had fifty percent and you did the same combo, it wouldn't kill them. Okay, so they're not showing you the real numbers, basically. No, so so that means that uh, first hits appear to do a lot, but then it just oh they just never die it's so close it makes the game appear a little bit more close when you yeah. store m- more hit points at the end okay. P- players have picked up on this and joked that the the very end they call <laughs> the it a magic pixel, pixel right. cuz the magic pixel has like a lot of hit points in it usually right so that it's so close all the time anyway we did the opposite we were like look you got six chunks right <laughs> so yeah we we've scaled up from uh, yeah a simple game to to the point where we're still capturing the fundamentals and people are still liking it, but somehow we didn't need a lot of the complex things that mm-hmm. most fighting games have. Hmm. So how, how close is it? Like, being where you need to be? Is it like, you're uncomfortable with the gameplay and it's just a production question, or...? Yeah, pretty much, but just a production question is, is a nice understatement there, yeah, right? Sure. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, I mean... It depends, right? Like, if you're really comfortable with the gameplay, like then that's like that's the achievement. Like, you maybe maybe you maybe maybe you guys aren't gonna be able to find the money to like solve the production problem. So it's like it's like a whole right. other it's like orthogonal, right? Like it's a whole other type of question. So yeah, uh, so it's been a struggle to pay for people. I mean, yeah, sure. you know, to pay for a team of people. Like, I need a professional animator and professional uh, modelers and so on. Uh, so I've just been struggling to do what I can, and uh, I don't have a big enough team, but mm-hmm. just kind of rolling forward anyway. We we need to get 
funding from Kickstarter or from a console sure. manufacturer or from some friends and family. Like, there's a bunch of things on the horizon that, that, right. that I don't know which one is going to be like, the one that comes Right together. now, it's essentially a PC game, but, like, you'd, be, you'd uh, obviously want to have it on consoles if possible, so. Right. I, I expect it will be on PlayStation 4. Right. Uh, probably play, PlayStation 4 cross-play with Steam. Right. Steam, Mac, and PC. Sure. Um, so, I'm pretty happy with the gameplay. Uh, as of today, we have seven playable characters. We'd like to ship with ten. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, it's not like it's not like that means it's seventy percent done because sure. there's a lot of things in a prototype state. We need good visual effects. We need uh, networking features and single player features. There's a lot of production. So, is I, it two D or three D or what is it? The gameplay is two D. Sure, actually, but the, the graphics the graphics are three D. Okay, all right. Um. So I will be facing, competing with Riot's upcoming League of Legends fighting game Mm -hmm. made by my friends, and it will be free to play. Are you, though? Like, they're going to be making... It just depends on what your project feels like, right? Like... My project feels like the marketing for their game. All of their messages are They're they're doing the same thing as you are. Okay. Well, Well, no, they're not doing the same thing I am. But they're saying they're using the same terms in marketing. I, like I believe that they have, and at least Rising Thunder ended up in a place that's much closer to Street Fighter Four okay. than than I am. But all the talk about making it accessible and making, you know, getting people to that uh, ground floor of strategy quickly and having the most accessible game they can make, and that's why they're they're wanting to be free to play. If you just looked at all of the interviews, it would be identical to my interviews. Mm-hmm. Even though we've made different games, sure. yeah, I understand. Okay, was so was Dive Kick just like like a joke thing you could download, or was it a game that you could buy? So Dive Kick started in a crazy way. Uh, every year at this big tournament, this guy who runs it uh, has a mystery game you could play. Like one year, it was of some version of Street Fighter where the screen was upside down, and some you know it's some weird esoteric game in the next year. And then one year, he made a game in Flash called Dive Kick, mm-hmm. and so. It was just a joke game for this one tournament. But people liked it, and so he kept developing it, uh, made a bit more and more of it, then did a Kickstarter for it to make it into a real thing. Yeah. The Kickstarter was canceled because in the middle of that, Iron Galaxy Studios approached them and said that they would buy it and publish it. Okay. So they did, and they remade it from scratch. They remade their own version on PS3 and PC and PS4. Okay. So it was it was a and did it, real commercial. Did it do well? Uh, it... Started to do well. It like went up. It was, became a popular thing. It was at a lot of tournaments, but then it just died. Okay. Uh, so it's it's like exactly the thing for us to avoid. Right. Right. Uh, I think a lot of it probably had to do with their framing of it as a joke game. I think that helped them a lot at the start because yes. everyone was curious about it. But then people believed the joke. Like. I think Dive Kick is a better game than probably the average uh, fighting game player would give it credit for. Right. Their perception is just, oh, it's some stupid thing to, to throw away. So uh, we have to be clear. We're not making a joke game. We're making a more accessible game. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Like, you're crazy if you think you're going to be able to compete with Riot in the sense of... Oh, sure. They have pe- unlimited resources. Yeah, exactly. Like, they have... like, how people are going to perceive the game. Yeah, of like, course. People need to be able to perceive your game and, like, see immediately, like... This is an indie game made by like this this small team this yeah. iconclast, right? Yeah, yeah, like fighting game iconclast who's got like this these crazy ideas about doing things totally differently. Like that's what they need to that's what they need to connect to. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I mean, 
those type of projects can work as as paid games. I, anyway, like I, I feel like that that's your that's the only thing you'll have to fight against them because like yeah, like Riot. I mean, <laughs> the one the one upside you have is there's a pretty good chance that Riot Riot will just cancel their game. Like, like, genuinely I, I speaking, know. like they they've only made League of Legends, right? And like like what happens in their boardroom when they decide like what type of game to make? Like you know, like should we actually you know like or should we actually green like this? Should we really move forward? Because like they're measuring on a scale that compares to League of Legends, right? And nothing right. can compare to League of Legends, right? That's right. And like <laughs> it's you know, there's a pretty good chance that I mean like just genuinely like whatever they buy is just gonna get consumed there'll be development for a while and then they'll just die. Right. Like that's a totally viable scenario. But if they do come out, like it's just going to be at this level that is like, you know, you are the counterbalance. It is like literally impossible to compete along many dimensions of this whole thing. So Um, it needs to be some weird judo thing, right. Where you are clearly like a counter to that. Uh, So, but a more positive spin on it is that, I think there will probably be okay, assume that they, they don't cancel it, that they really release such a thing. Uh I think there will probably be a some kind of turning point or new market or, or wave of you know in the community of like, oh hey, taking fighting games and making them more accessible is a thing. That's yes. a whole new category of thing. Mm-hmm. And this League of Legends fighting game with their unstoppable IP uh is attracting millions and millions of people and who else is in that Sure. In that category, and the answer is like no one else is in that category because because right. all the fighting games are going this totally other direction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it might be beneficial to be in part of that wave, even if it's not like it's not like you're going to beat them or something. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a good concept. Like you have a good story about the game, and I mean, most I mean, ultimately, the most important thing is like, is the game actually good? Right. right. But yeah, like figuring out exactly how you're going to do this is is not. That's a challenge. Right. And by the time people hear this, uh, many things will have changed. My, my plans will have changed. The market will have changed. Yeah, yeah. So I, I understand we're still navigating the waters right yeah, now. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's jump back for a minute to talk to some of those, some of the card, you know, some of the cardboard games, whatever you want to call it, Puzzle Strike, um, that you've worked on. Um, so Yomi, you know, you was, hmm. so that's turn-based Yep. fighting game right like you wanted to expose your the you wanted to expose what you perceived of as the strategy layer of fighting games to people um did it or at least some of it right sure. <laughs> not all of it sure um, i mean do people like the you know that sort of like circle you have of you know this is the core of a fighting game like yeah is that something like most um fighting game people would like recognize um no not exactly that that's actually Secretly from Virtual Fighter. Uh, in Virtual okay. Fighter, if you do an attack, like as your attack is coming out, you cannot be thrown, and mm-hmm. your attack will beat throws. Okay. My uh, Yomi circle of what beats what reflects that, but that's not how it is in a lot of other fighting games like Street Fighter. If my attack is coming out, you could throw me. Okay. Uh, so it's more like every game has its own kind of unique specific circle or whatever, and you just had to pick one, right? Yeah, like I, I just picked the way I did. Because it's simpler, it's just an easier way to translate it into tabletop rather than it exactly matches Street Fighter. And uh, I think the biggest realization was that uh, fighting games, even though they're real-time, they're kind of 
double blind, meaning mm-hmm. like you make a decision at a moment when the opponent doesn't know. That's not obvious from looking at them because you, you think, well, I can see the whole screen, they can see the whole screen, so isn't it not? Isn't it perfect information? But because fighting games take place at such a rapid pace, updated once every 60th of a second, when you press the button at that exact moment, you actually don't really know the game state because your brain can't process it. You you're you know the game state four frames ago or, or ten frames ago or something. So it's very often that at the moment you enter a move, the opponent actually already entered their move. Sure. You're right. just not able to perceive that. And... In the very first version of Yomi I made uh, many, many years ago, it was literally turn-based. Like, I play my move, you play your move. And we tried to make that work, and mm-hmm. it just it just didn't. I was like, you know, what captures fighting games more is if you played your both, both your cards at the same time and, and revealed them. Because that situation comes up a lot. Uh, so it's, it's for that there is some kind of rule about what beats what. Maybe it doesn't specifically match Street Fighter, but it's kind of close. Uh, you know, matches Virtual Fighter. Also, you make your choice at the uh, at a point where you don't know what the opponent has chosen. That's very key. And then beyond that, there's a lot of kind of nuances or little rules here and there, or little abilities here or there that just happen to work the same as something in a fighting game. So I've I've found that when fighting game players look at it, they they at first go like, oh, so it's kind of like the paper rock scissors that goes on when you're near the opponent as opposed to far away in okay. a fighting game. Because uh, there's no distance element in Yomi. Right. I had to simplify sure. something. Something had to did give. Did you try that at all? I did try it a little bit. I couldn't really... So my game Flash Duel uses distance, yes. but doesn't use much else. Yeah. Uh, I found it very difficult to use both yeah. and keep it you elegant. You have to have some artificial state thing going on, which... I have some ideas about a future game. Maybe I could use... Like, make it... a a little, kind of in between, kind of like simplify Yomi a little bit in order to add distance. But I always found it very difficult to get to work in an understandable way. I want it to be more elegant, more accessible than uh, than it was turning out to be when I had distance mm-hmm. and some ideas for Yomi. So uh, anyway, they people look at it, they go, okay, I see it's got some of the guessing games. But then as they look at it more and more, they it's like they start to experience real situations from fighting games. Like, oh yeah, when, when you knock the opponent down, they often get desperate and want to do a dragon punch because they don't have many other options. And the same is true in Yomi. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a lot of little things like that that, that make it uh, come together for fighting game players. Yeah. Um, so one thing, I, one issue I have with Yomi is like the very first move. Um, and mm-hmm. I think the last time I talked about Yomi, I hadn't played it as much. So like I wasn't ready to like ask you about this but like it's hard for, I, I don't know what to think about like the very first move because like you're making a decision based off of literally no information right well the information in your hand and the information of well of the like, information in your hand but of how your character works yeah I so mean, um for example should you dodge in the first turn i don't know no you, you probably shouldn't because if you do uh the upside would be that the opponent attacked, you'll dodge, you'll avoid the attack, and then you'll be able to hit back. So you spent two cards in order to deal damage, and that's inefficient. You generally don't want to do that. If uh, if the opponent had one hit point left, and you had a handful of attacks and dodges, that would be a fantastic time to dodge. Uh, you would dodge and spend one of your many attacks, way more than you need, because the game's going to end. Yeah. So at the end of the game, uh, once you've built up a lot of powerful cards, dodging is very good. Uh, Mm -hmm. At the beginning, it's usually generally bad. So what is good? Usually blocking is good because you need to build up 
cards to deal damage. Like, you're eventually going to have to get enough cards in your hand to deal enough damage to win, and you don't start any- with anywhere near enough cards. So you're going to need to draw a lot of cards. Blocking is your main way to do that. And then in Yomi version 2, you can also go up on cards by doing normal attacks. If mm-hmm. your normal attack uh, hits or is blocked, you can draw a card. Blocking is even gets you even more cards, though. So I know that I want to block. You know that you want to block. Sure. Uh, this is changed by dynamics of, of what our characters are. Like um, uh, A big thing you think about in any character matchup is... I guess in uh, Magic the Gathering, they call the concept, who's the beatdown? Have you heard of this Mm-mm. this concept? Well, you can ima- in Magic, you can imagine a control deck that is all counter spells and uh, just mm-hmm. doesn't let the opponent do anything. Yeah. And then another deck has like all attacking creatures. So who's the beatdown? Well, the one the one that attacks a lot, that's what we call the beatdown. Yeah. But the idea that I... The, the new theory that was uh, proposed, you know, that made that term popular was to realize that it's not so binary. It's really a gradient or a spectrum. And what if you're halfway in the middle of that spectrum uh, and you fight someone barely to the left or right of you on the spectrum? Well, it depends. Are you fighting someone barely towards the control or barely towards the beatdown? Because mm-hmm. if if they're barely towards the beatdown, they're the beatdown. Like, whoever's closer to being all offense is quote-unquote the beatdown. Sure. And the point of this concept is to understand who has the inevitability in the long game. Whoever is the control, control is re- usually defined as whoever will win if the game goes on really long. And there's a lot of character matchups, m- most character matchups in Yomi, you need to think about if both of us just block, block, block all the time, Which who, one of us will who's turn gaining advantage the end, the every end, turn? Sure. Who's getting a little bit more ahead? Mm-hmm. Uh, so what if our character matchup, I'm the one that will gain advantage from block, block, block. Well, before we even looked at the character matchup, I kind of wanted to block. And now this factors in. Now I really want to block. Now I look at my hand and I have, I don't know, one block. That's not very many. Maybe I should block to get more. Or maybe it's risky because I'll, I'll lose it. So there, there, there's more to it than you might think, even in the first turn. Yeah. I mean, I definitely... There's so enough turns that it, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I understand that there, there's more to it. It's that um, at some especially for that first turn, like you say, okay, like I'm in a situation where I should block because uh, that's the advantage for my character in the situation, but I can't do it all the time, so maybe I need to block 75% of the time. Right. Like, yeah, you need a range. You know, like over the course of the game. But like for any specific game, like I'm kind of just flipping a coin in my head. Well, for any specific combat, you're flipping a coin, for sure, because a specific combat really is something like 75% I should block, 10% I should attack, 5% I should throw, or whatever. But um, there's so many combats over the course of a game that, uh, I mean, it it evens out. You don't really need my theory here. Like, we know it does, because we know know that, like, a good player versus a bad player... Yeah, I have no problem with the rest of the game. Oh, okay. I'm just thinking, like, this first move. Like, if I'm like, okay... Yeah. In this mission, normally, I should, you know, 75% of the, so like, okay, I did it last So game. what about the 5th move or the 10th? Wouldn't you have the same complaint? Well, no, because once, once st- cards start coming up at the table, like if I see my opponent play three attack cards. Now you've got enough then, information. Yes, now I know that like, well, what are the odds that he had four or five attack cards going into that, right? Like that's now an interesting situation. Anyway, so my, and I just want to know what your reaction to this, like my sense of what, I would do for that first turn. And maybe this is just kind of infeasible. Is you deal how many cards you start with? And you know, seven, seven. Like 
four of them are revealed, three of them are not. Hmm. Like, before you make your first move. Right? Because at least, because I just feel like you need some shared information that, like, that, yeah, like, I know you, you know, you get your seven cards, and, you know, so that means, like, oh, I've got a situation where even even if I'm the character who should normally not block, because of the cards in my hands, I should block, and aha, I'm like, okay, so that, that's fine. But I th- feel like it's better if you're both looking at the same thing, and then you're trying to figure out, you know, not just what I'm going to do, but how my opponent is going to react to this thing that's, like, open information. Uh, I don't know. I'm sort of on the fence. Like, uh, I never really thought it was a problem in the first place. If you bring it up as a problem, yeah, I mean, maybe a little bit. Does your solution help the, the situation? Well, it sort of does, because it gives you some information to go on, but then it creates other problems. In general, in any card game, including Yomi, if there's a hand reveal mechanic mm-hmm. uh, at high-level play, those can be annoying, because... Um, yeah. So do you write down... Right, yeah, 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 yeah. So that's, you know, like... Or do you not? Do they have to stay open, and then obviously, you know, if you pick one. So that that's a little bit... Un- yeah. If you well, pick one of the ones that's open, like, obviously, like... Um, oh, what do you mean, pick one? Well... You'd, four would be open, three would be, be closed. But at yeah. some point, you're going to pick one of those seven cards to play, right? Well, well of course you need to just So you have to pick again. them up at some point. Yeah. So either, um, yeah, like you say, like, would you write them down? Like, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's kind of awesome. So in Magic the Gathering tournaments, they've encountered problems with this. And uh, at one point, the rule was, okay, this writing down stuff, this is taking too long. You cannot write stuff down anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that totally backfired. Because whenever there's a hand reveal, if I can look at your cards and I know that I can't write them down, wow, I... Can you give me a minute? Can I, <laughs> right, can I so maybe, take as long just, as I hold, need? Hold on, I need to I need a mnemonic or something like. And so people would do that, and it would take way longer than yeah. when they wrote the stuff down. So then Magic was like, okay, yeah, okay, I'm, sorry. I'm totally on board with that. Anytime a game goes down that route, it's always awkward. So like, this is more like a thought experiment, and like, I just feel like it'd be nice if there was some way to like almost okay. like there'd be some situation like imagine some sort of starting state that was slightly different. For for Yomi, where you have like ten cards and you flip one over, um, for you, you pick one for each game randomly. Yeah, and like this might say like at the beginning of the game, this type of move is worth this thing more, or like the small rule change to the state, even if it's just for that first. This well, I can thing. explain why it's maybe less of a problem in my mind than yours. Yeah. Uh, so. When it comes to like what move you should play in any mm-hmm. given moment, uh, some percentage of of that is you taking account. Well, what cards could they have in their hand? Like, right. like if you're wondering, are they going to play an ace? You might think, well, what's the probability they even have an ace? Yeah. Uh, but that's actually much less than you would think. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's much less part of the decision. Uh, you, you might be thinking that's like the dominant main thing, but it's really very little uh, because. People have so many options in their hand with seven cards. Each one has two sides. That's it's done that way yeah. on purpose. Mm-hmm. That uh, on turn one, do they have a block? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, almost impossible not to have a block. Do they have an attack? Yeah, they do. Like they're gonna have all those options covered, and what they play is much more aligned with uh, kind of the script that their character w- benefits from playing and mm-hmm. less about which particular cards they happen to have drawn. Yeah, okay. Uh, so, so that's why it's not too big of a deal. I, th- I think... It, I would think it's more of a deal if the cards didn't have double-sided stuff and you were even more constrained in what you which options you had. Because yeah. then it would... It starts to be really random, like look of the draw and do they even have a throw or something. Yeah. The um, 
Hmm. I mean, I think that the actual issue for me is I still haven't gotten over like that initial hump of like I'm fully into the game. Feels random. Yeah, like you know, I haven't I haven't understood the game enough so that like I know now all of the the meaning of all the different moves at the beginning of the game. Yeah, that's a common problem or criticism is that it. It's, at first, it feels like random and like there's no strategy yeah. or you have no basis to choose anything yeah. over anything else. And this, this to me, seems like the, the especially most problematic part of that is I that, see. that first move. And so for me, it's like I, I just it, it, it's a situation that makes me feel uncomfortable. Right. And um, it seems like a lot of games, it's just a, I haven't experienced that in a lot of other games. And usually because there's just something that you're both looking at. I mean, some games, like, you don't have an interesting decision at the beginning of the game because the game kind of just scales up like that, like inverse pyramid, right? And that's fine. Like, that, that that's normal. But, um, but yeah, it's just kind of a really a, u- unusual thing about Yomi. Mm. Um, okay. And, uh, well, I'll think about I don't, it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, whatever. It's just, like, the inverse. The other, my other thing I think about with Yomi is that I almost... <laughs> I almost feel like I'd like to play. So you're making a you're making a video game where you're stripping down, you know, all the stuff in fighting game to its core, right? Yeah. I feel like I almost want to play the stripped down version of Yomi. Yeah. Like you know, I like I I, um, you know, Rock Paper Scissors is not a great game, right? Obviously, I'm on his face, but like it's nice playing a game that like has that thing going on where you're incentivized for different parts of the triangle, right? Like that's the, that's, that's like the core of what's, what's working in. Yeah. So, so Yomi that, that is, it has fewer exceptions and fewer extra rules. Like there's all that other stuff in Yomi. There's the double size of the cars. There's the linkers in the beginning, the stuff that starts the thing and the source ends it. And then there's the special rules about, um, you know, the, you know, know, the face cards and so on and so forth. And like, I mean, I feel like you could have made that game, with half as many rules, and it might it might have been better, but I you know that's just I would need it more. I need to play it more to like like know if I'm really right about that instinctively. But yeah, I, I've thought about that too. So uh, I think that would be great. But uh, here's a design concept I've, I've, I've joked with one of my friends about it a lot. I call it the H1O principle, like H two O being water. So I've I've got this idea for a new molecule I'm going to tell you about. Uh, it uses the uh, the atoms H1O, but get this: it has all the properties of water. Everything that normal water can do, my thing can do. And then you'd be like, well, how is that? How would that work though? Because it's like a different molecule. Wouldn't it have different chemical properties than water? Mm-hmm. I'd say, yeah, but I, I can I can imagine it working. I can imagine it being great. But then when you sit down to really make the thing, sure. it's like. There's this big disconnect with what I what I imagine what's true, and I've encountered that all the time in my own games where I imagine Yomi to be much simpler than it is, uh, and so why not make that game? So I try to make that game and I can't, and it doesn't work, and it ends up the way you saw it. Right. Um, the one example of where I was able to address that is on Pendante. Mm-hmm. So Pendante started out like you would want it to, mm-hmm. simple elegant but uh it's a it's a gambling game yeah so as good players played it they would find kind of like edges they'd play around that would make it degenerate you know ways to exploit things that weren't you know you're not really supposed to do that and they found too many serious problems with the game uh and it was a big deal because i wanted to be played for real money like a gambling game you could actually play for real money uh with a with a higher skill ceiling than poker because there's just more moves. There's more ways to get ahead. 
so to address these problems, we had more and more band-aids, and then like by the end, what should have been a simple game had just too many exceptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, then uh, I, de- I was demoing that game, and in, during one of the demos, I realized that there was a couple rules that I just didn't even tell people about mm-hmm. because I figured, like, well, they're not at a high enough level where that rule's going to matter. Right. I just won't even tell them. And afterwards, I thought, that is so crappy. Like, that's embarrassing, you know, mm-hmm. that, that I can't even tell them the real rules. We need to do something about this. Why do we have all these Band-Aids? And when I looked back at the design, I saw that at every step of the way, these Band-Aids were all needed. There yes. was the, Like, if you if you told me today, like, go go remove one of them, I, I can't. They, it's All of them are there for an important reason. Uh, so what can we do? And I thought, you know, the only way to fix this is that really the fundamental core of the game had some wrong rules or something. Right. Like, couldn't we have done something where we wouldn't have even encountered the Band-Aid in the first place? So we started thinking about that. Are there some rules that are the very core of it that we could change? uh, That once people played that, and then we had to fix whatever that, uh, whatever problem arose there, it would be an easier fix, or hardly any fixes. And so we tried that, and I was able to do it. I was able Mm -hmm. to change some, some core rules that meant that we added, you know, two band-aids instead of like 30 band-aids or something. And the, so the second version of it is quite different and is much simpler and more elegant. Uh, but that's quite a trick. I yeah. don't know if I can it's do hard that. To I've know. thought about it with Yomi. Yeah. I would like to maybe do it just, that. Yeah, it just it kept coming up. It kept just like my design senses just kept thinking about like... like maybe there's another like way, there's way to, to put to it together. This. It's so hard because it's a journey. You, I think you can't just take out things from yeah. Yomi because it's the same kind of problem... Yeah. As I had on You'd have Mandante. to start much earlier. Well, it's why yeah. like you're talking about the fighting game of like you started with like one hit point, right? You'd always <laughs> right. have to like go back go back to that level where you're like, okay, clearly this is actually worse right now than Yomi, but maybe it's well, it's local maxima, right? It's like mm-hmm. that issue, right? Like but but now that I've scaled it all the way back, maybe now I can build it up again to be like in a better place. Right. Um and I feel like there there might be that that might be possible. Yeah, and I've thought about doing that with distance with the distance mechanic like people like that. there's a game called Battlecon that competes with yomi it's another yeah. uh, fighting themed card game and they, you know they have distance and the, even that game did kind of what we're talking about here so Battlecon is a is a very complicated game mm-hmm. uh, i think it's more complicated than yomi mm-hmm. and uh the guy who made Battlecon made a newer version called Battlecon Exceed, and it was his design goal to do just what we're talking about. It's like, mm-hmm. take a Battlecon-ish game. It's not mm-hmm. exactly the same game. It's sort of sort of similar. And uh, come at it from a different angle such that it can have way fewer rules. He wanted, I think he wanted the rules to fit on two pages instead of ten or something right, like yeah. that. Uh, yeah, so I, you know, I, I see uh, my, my competitor out there doing that. Yeah, yeah. I could think about it too. Although now I'm making a video game, and <laughs> I mean, I think Yomi is a good game. So like, it's yeah, I do too. Sense, like, it's a big. Uh, sometimes you got you know, I mean, be happy with it and so on. It's just like those are the things that stuck out in my head about it. Even if I did all this, it would be sort of like uh, the Battlecon thing, or it would be a new game. Yeah, like, exactly. Right. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people that are playing Yomi tournaments now. Yeah, there's yeah, leagues. I mean, they're very happy with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hard. Like it's you know, at some point, it's so hard to make a game. That some of the steps you take 
you can never really take back, right? Like, <laughs> at some point, you make some paths. You choose some paths, and at that point, you're kind of choosing randomly, like, really, like, if you look at it from a high level. Yeah, because you don't know the, uh, yeah. how it's going to pan out. But it gets you to a point where you can't actually make a good game. But it means you can't go back to, like, that extremely different a different option. So, um, when you mentioned Pedante, um, the second version you talked about, is that... Do you mean like there was that the version you eventually shipped, or do you no, actually I, have a second version of Pandante? There is a second version. So, oh, okay. uh, of course, I knew people would be mad about that. So, how it really works is so, so it's the first version, and I thought it was good and great, yeah. and that was it, and we're done. And then I got upset about it and thought we need to do something. We need to make a you know second edition, but I don't want to just make a second edition. Can we can we add more content? Can we make like an expansion mm-hmm. that adds a bunch of new fun things to the game? So we brainstormed like different ways to do that. Came up with several. Came up with four different ways that we could add more content. And what I ended up doing was there are four different like modular things you can, you can play with with this feature with this feature any combination of them. And then, by the way, we have simplified the base the rules. Base rules, okay. Yeah, and, and yeah. I, I, as a marketing message, I leaned a lot on this is an expansion, this is new content. Like, that's, there's, that's there's funny a, because that's not my assumption at all. Usually with expansions, I actually generally do not like expansions for board games because oftentimes, like, if the game got to a good point, and then it's like they just like, well, we need some more content for it. So like. You know, like this is the expansion that simplifies the base rules. That like yeah, and the Kickstarter videos like, never. <laughs> I I did highlight that in our Kickstarter video for the uh, expansion. How unusual it is yeah. that the expansion has simpler rules than the base set because it's normally the other way around, like yeah. you said. But uh, but yeah, so you can buy an expansion for just twenty five dollars uh-huh. if you already had the base set, and then if you don't have anything, I printed a new thing that's. It's the second edition that includes the expansion, right, so you right. don't even need a separate product. Right. Okay. Um, all right. Let's talk about uh, Puzzle Strike a little bit. Um, <laughs> you like that one, I think. Yeah, I like Puzzle Strike. That's a, that's a good game. Although I have to say, Puzzle Strike. So you, your games, you have kind of like your games. If you describe what your themes of your games are, it's almost like postmodernism, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. So. Especially when I'm playing, like, on my iPad, I'm playing Yobi. I'm like, okay, so I'm playing a, a video game of a card game that's of a, you know, video- version of a video game. It's like a fictional video game <laughs> that now I'm finally making, right? But, but Puzzle Strike is even weirder, right? Because, <laughs> how does this work, right? It's a... Well, it's it's as if there was a Puzzle Fighter video game. Right, like sure. with my characters, but right. we never actually made that game. <laughs> so, but I was lead designer of the Puzzle Fighter thing on right. Xbox, so that's sort of close enough. Right. Well, so here's the main issue. Like when I try to teach people Puzzle Strike, there's this like okay, so the first what you do here is you crash a gem, right? And I just right. I said three words, <laughs> but I might as well just have like made up syllables, right? Like yeah. it means nothing. Right, like, but if you if you have played puzzle, if you've played Puzzle Fighter, it means something. Right, right. But like, only and if, if you, you haven't played con- if you haven't played Puzzle Fighter, then you can say, "Well, have you played Tetris?" <laughs> and we but, but, send things to. The, yeah, even then, it's like it's like if you send it to one one column, <laughs> right? Which is not really like I actually, you know, it's funny. I, puzzle Bobble. Then when I found, when I played the uh, so I played the iPad version of Puzzle Strike, and it was really like. 
I knew the rules when I played it physically, but it's until I in in the in the iPad version you have the column and you see the gems fill up. And like the first time I saw that was the first time I was like, oh, now I understand this game's metaphor, <laughs> right? Like it was the first, before then I was just like, where is this? You just got to understand these rules. They're kind of weird. I have no idea what what it means. What about like, the back of the box? It shows a picture of the metaphor. Does it? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So generally speaking. One of the things about themes is it's a way to make understanding the game rules a little easier. Yeah, okay, and, and Puzzle Strike <laughs> doesn't help you out there. That's <laughs> right. Anyway, I, uh, it's a really good game. I just really like just... Puzzle Fighter, and I didn't know how else to <laughs> convey that mechanism. Yeah, it was. It's 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 <laughs> it's it's strange. Anyway, um, <laughs> I agree. The, I don't want to. I don't. Yeah, I mean, you know, it it's. Um, it's fine because once I like I, I, like when I played the iPad version, I, I totally finally clicked at that point, you know. And I almost wonder if like that should have been part of the board design somehow or something like that to like show those gems like filling up or whatever. Um, but anyway, oh, so the the boards that you get in do you have Puzzle Strike Third Edition? Like, no, no, you change the design a little bit or uh, well, yeah, Third Edition is like that's when we really nailed it and. Okay. That's the one that's out there now that you can okay. actually buy. It's many years old now, but uh, you have a, each player has a board, and mm-hmm. the board has a picture of like basically your side of the screen in, okay. in Puzzle Fighter, and you put the gems in there just like you're filling up your gem basin. Right, right. So right. it's it's to try to. I mean, it's partly to, it's just as a gameplay aid to help you play the game, but yeah. it's also a way to sneak in theme. Right, right. I understand what the what the idea is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So. So yeah, I mean, one of the things that was awesome about Puzzle it's I, I see why you want to make the connection because one of the things that's awesome about Puzzle Strike is that concept of like as you start to lose, you start to gain power, right? <laughs> like you know, that's that's a really it's a really unusual thing. Um, the other thing, like I found, I mean, obviously it's you know also heavily inspired by Dominion, right? Right. Um, and um, I I'm trying to remember. Why I felt like I enjoyed Puzzle Strike much more than Dominion, um, because I found Dominion. Dominion, it was I like. I can give you some uh, sample reasons. <laughs> I'm so sure you can suggest. I mean, that was the whole reason you made the game. <laughs> um, it helped a lot, from my point of view, that you you had a starting point, right? Like you had a character, right? Yeah. Like you had a distinctive. Um, like these are your th- these are the three these are your three special chips, and this this pushes you in a direction. Right. right, it'll be different from the other players. Right, um, I thought having the colors was great. Right, like you know that, that different arrows, you know, colors, that gives yeah. you you know like sort of a, opens a, up some design a, space a path. Yeah, path in your head, um, and uh, you know, and also just like functionally speaking, like chips just work a lot better than a lot better than cards. Um, but anyway, once you start for like how do you know where did how do you start Puzzle Strike? Like where did that? Uh, well, it just started with liking the puzzle fighter mechanic and i yeah. i kept trying to put that in a lot of games like i mentioned i worked on pitches for video games even then i would think like how can we do like a puzzle fighter thing in this completely other genre and i never managed to get it into anything ever but it was always in the back of my mind uh and uh after looking at dominion i just thought oh well I didn't realize people would accept the game where you had to read a whole bunch of cards ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Like it's so inelegant to set up. It's there's a lot of like bad things about it that 
that people didn't think were bad at all. And so it really opened my eyes like, oh, wow, you, I can make a game where you have to read 10 cards, you know, before, before the game starts. Uh, this is interesting, but I, do, I don't know. I just immediately thought, what, what if this was Puzzle Fighter? Because it's like a reflex, you know. What, <laughs> what Here's if, this new mechanic. Can yeah. I apply it to Puzzle Fighter? The other, the, I mean, that's my secondary reflex. My main reflex is uh, what if there was a bunch of characters sure. that, were all, that all played differently or yeah. asymmetric. Um, but I kind of, it was sort of a joke thing. Like I wasn't totally serious about making that game, uh, but I prototyped it and people liked it and I just kept going with it and became a thing. Mm. So to specifically identify what it's trying to do, it's, uh, in, in Dominion, you start with, um, some money and three cards that don't do anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, and there's, uh, in competitive games, it's like, you want to get to the point as soon as possible. So starting with three cards that do nothing is the opposite of getting to the point. Yeah. So I went the other way. So what do you start with three chips that, uh, that that really push you in a certain direction? Uh, also, uh, interaction like is very big in competitive yeah. games. You want to so have that's that's one of the things. Like taking away essentially you took away the victory point cards, right? Right. Like basically entirely uh, replace them with the most interactive thing right. possible. And it was like yeah, like those victory point cards. They're so they're so boring, right? Like you're. It, it, See that's the see that's the like fundamentally the weird thing of like Dominion, um, and I feel like that's like a like a random thing that he ended up. That was like that on the game design journey he went down that road, and I don't know if he realizes I think that was a bad decision or not, but I think he just kind of got stuck with it, right? And I mean, it's uh, a, I mean I've read his stuff. He's said that uh, he it reminds he actually sounded a lot like what Jonathan Blow said. Uh, they both they both said the same thing about their games that. They each had an idea for this big grandiose thing they were going to make, uh-huh. and then they thought, "Well, here's here's a mechanic that will put me on the journey to make my big grandiose thing." And they each kind of thought about that for a while, maybe started it a little bit, and then thought, "Well, let me take a step back. What if I just only look at this mechanic and, and forget the grandiose thing? Just just only do that." And uh, in Dominion's case, it was, you know it's the shuffling yeah. mechanic, uh, and he thought, "Well, we need something." If I just want to look at that mechanic, I, I need something to just prototype, just like victory points, you yeah, know, sure, anything. Uh, and he said that people just immediately liked it so much that he couldn't even work on anything else. Like, literally, he couldn't work on it because he would say, okay, here's this unrelated we're game. Try something different. Yeah, and they're like, no, no, we want more of that game. And they like, and people like didn't even want to test his other games because they were so into this thing. And he's like, all right, and <laughs> this went with it. Meanwhile, I am totally surprised that after releasing Puzzle Strike and saying, hey, world, here is a game that is highly interactive, which is, of course, good, I'd say most of the board game market sees that as a negative. They, that it's so interactive? Well, yeah. I mean, n- not that it's so interactive, just that it's more interactive. Like, <laughs> There's this weird thing where, in my world, the more interactive, the better of a right. competitive game it is, but apparently a lot of uh, board game market wants... Uh, Euro style, like I call it passive aggressive play. Mm-hmm. Like you, like you might, I could maybe block your ability to buy a sheep. Right. But that, so that that's it. That's the the core thing about Puzzle Trust Strike that I like is yeah, you're you're playing against someone. And first of all, it's just great. That it's a two player game, right? Like that that clarifies so much when you when you just boil it down to a two player game. Wait, do you allow more than two players? Yeah, it's a it's two to four. <laughs> and- <laughs> okay. Um, I guess I've only played as a two-player game, so... Um, I, I feel like it's actually... Uh, I'm, I've kind of contributed a little bit to game design uh-huh. in in the 
four player mode and the okay. three and four player mode. Uh, should I tell you what it what it does? It's, sure, yeah, go ahead. Um, I actually the thing I'm about to tell you I actually originally put in Codex and liked it so much that then I put it in Puzzle Strike, but I okay. shipped Puzzle Strike way way ahead of time, so the rest of the world thinks that that the it's Puzzle Strike Puzzle was Strike. yeah, but it's really from Codex. So they both have the same idea that uh, all right, this is. So Puzzle Strike 2nd Edition and 3rd Edition work differently in this free-for-all regard. The idea is that uh, player elimination... So Dominion does not have player elimination, right? You can all play to the end. And uh, the designer thought that player elimination was the worst possible thing. So that's why he didn't have it. Yeah. And I thought, Just well... It's a classic Euro game thing. I thought, well, I agree that it's bad. Mm-hmm. I also don't want it. But I wouldn't rate it as the worst possible mm-hmm. thing. What's even worse than player elimination is lame duck. Like, where you're not eliminated, but you have no possible way of winning. Yeah. If you allow that to exist, then you've opened the door to Kingmaker... You yes. have you have no reason to exist, so you can just like fuck with everyone else and decide yeah. who wins. That's that's actually worse. Yeah. So Puzzle Strike Second Edition has player elimination precisely to not have lame duck and kingmaker. How does version one not have player elimination? Like that's the no, whole point of Puzzle Strike is to kill one and two are the same game. They only differ by components. Version one and two, which are the same as each other, uh-huh. they both have player elimination. Right. Okay. And, and I've explained why already, because that gets rid of lame duck and yeah, kingmaker. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's not that I wanted to have player elimination, it's that I didn't know any other way to do it. Yeah. So a common thing that people said was, I like this puzzle strike game where uh, you you, cra- you you actually have to crash to the person next in line, and you can counter crash backwards in line, you know. Like oh, a, you have to attack the person to yeah, your in, left in, or whatever? In second edition, yes. Okay. Um, so people said, okay, we like the game. But we really wish you could crash to anyone, and also this whole player elimination thing is not great. I'm like, yeah, I know, but it has to be that way. It can't be another way. Uh, if you can, ad- if you can uh, crash to anyone, then you can just double team and yeah. collusion. Is I mean, that, that's the why I think I just thought of it as a two-player game. As soon as, soon as you involve more than two people. Now it's a game of diplomacy, essentially, which so is which is just its own can of worms when you have player. Well, so it's cut down. I mean, this only crash one way thing yeah, mostly solves that. Right, it, sure. it, it, it's fine. It's there's that game works. It's just mm-hmm. that you wish that you could crash to anyone. You wish the rules of the universe would change and and allow you to crash to anyone, but not have it be about collusion. Yeah, uh, and you also wish that somehow there wasn't player elimination. So I thought about that and. Uh, what's funny is I, I came up with an idea of how to do that, and I posted it on Board Game Geek, and I was like, "This is just—I don't. Maybe this is broken. I don't know. Just throwing it out there. But this would be a way to do it without that." And we, when we played it, we found that it was my idea was broken, uh, and so we tweaked it and tweaked it and tweaked it, and a year later, finally found a way to make it work. And what's so funny is that uh, my very first post is only like. It's so I was so close. I was like, just oh, if I just changed like two little things, it could have worked. Here's how it works: uh, when anybody would lose the game, yeah, the game ends immediately. Okay, and the winner is the person who has the lowest pile, or in Codex, it's the person who has the least damage on their base. Okay, uh, the, so now there's no player elimination. Now there's no collusion either, because if if you try to team up on somebody. To knock them out, you don't knock them out. It's just you're gonna end up losing if you're. You not just one of you is causing the other one to, to, to lose. Yeah. So 
you realize that. Like, if you even start to do that, you realize, oh, wait a minute, I should, why am I doing this? I shouldn't do this. I should actually do the opposite. I shouldn't team and up. And you can attack anyone you want to. So obviously you're not going to attack the guy who's yeah. the worst. So yeah. let's say that we're teaming up on this person, and then I realize, well, wait, I'm just going to lose. So first, I don't want to team up with you, actually. But second, I, I want to help them. Yeah. And the game, for, for this system to work in both Codex and in uh, Puzzle Strike, the game needs to offer you some sort of feature to allow you to help people, because you need that to stop the game from randomly ending. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, if this pers- if pers- player three is weak, then if you are winning... And you kill player three, the game ends and you win. Yeah. And what am I supposed to do about it? You have to have some other way. Kill player three is not the answer. And you're not going to be able to kill me fast enough. Yeah, not, that's right. Maybe I can't kill you fast enough. I mean, maybe I could, but there's yeah. a lot of cases where I couldn't or something. So we need a way where I can help player three, which will let them live and it will extend the game. It will just let me live another day mm-hmm. to, to have enough time to, to kill you. And so in Puzzle Strike, that's done by allowing... it. If if anybody crashes to somebody and that person doesn't counter crash, everybody else has a chance to jump in and counter crash as well. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Right. So uh, that's so you the you can save someone basically. Yeah, you can save someone. Uh, that's pretty much. That's pretty much it. Okay. Uh, in that's 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 pretty good. I'm still not sure if I would want to play a game like that. I mean, I should try it, right? Like that sounds, so it's that quite, sounds interesting. It's like quite you, a different game, you, but yes. I, I think it's actually pretty good. Yeah, I like it in Codex too. It, it really works very similarly. The only difference is instead of counter crashing for people, there's this thing uh, with a patrol zone. It's where you assign certain of your units that will automatically block, and I can lend my units to you mm-hmm. so that mine will block for you to help you. Yeah, same principle. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that, that's pretty good. I've I think I've just, in general, soured on games with a diplomatic component, in general, right? So, um, well, this know, is like, really minimizing that. Yeah, no, no. I mean, you you you're making good decisions to like encourage people to do something, and it's not about it's not about you know like you're they're making actions because it's it's actually good for them, right? But like to me, it just muddies. It kind of just still just muddies the water. Like I would rather if I had four people, I'd rather just play two on two. Right, right. Like, and you, I mean, it seems like you can do everything that. is just very straightforward. You can do that in Puzzle Strike also. Yeah, you can just I, play two on two, yeah. and it works basically how you would imagine it works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's two. You said diplomacy. There's, I think it has two different types. One is the before the game starts, you and I are friends. We're going to team up, and the other is like, I don't know you. Maybe we're friends, or maybe we're not. But right now, I need to team up with you because of the game situation. Yeah. And then a little bit later, I need to team up with this other person. Yeah, like the shifting alliances that naturally. Yeah. Okay, so the first one is what I've tried to eliminate. Yes. The second one cannot be eliminated. It, it's that is what that is what it, it is. That, right? that, that is what it's yeah. like to play this four player. And to, that is kind of just a design aesthetic. And I, I I I'm not critical. Like I think I think what you've outlined as design is good. And I am I am not critical of games with that type of diplomacy. It's just I don't I think I feel like I just don't like those games. So much <laughs> yeah, that, that's fair. Yeah, I mean they just. You know, because it's just it's just this like unending thing of like, oh, I'm not doing that well. You know, like you know, like everyone's just like trying to basically make the argument for why why they're not doing so well, and really you should attack this guy and blah blah blah. And you know, it's fine. I just think I think I've just I've just been through that too many times. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm getting no argument for me. Sure, yeah. it's so I, I I'm not I'm actually fairly if if I'm going to play 
a game with like four people. Like I do like playing something like like Race for the Galaxy, right? Where it's just like it is sort of competitive solitaire, right? And um, and you know there, you know, once you get to once you get used to the game, you do start watching everyone, and like you can get better because of that. But like you know, you, you know, if something's really if something's really cutthroat, like I just I just want to play it as a one versus one. You know, I just I just want to play one person. You know, that's but that's just you know. Just I also right. prefer a one v one. Yeah, well, with a fighting game background, I mean, that's kind of must be burned into your character, right? So yeah, but and yet all these games support uh, more that I've made. Like a uh, Puzzle Strike is two to four. Yomi is actually one to four, if you can believe that. There's a crazy assist mode. There's also you can play against a like a deck that automatically does wow. what it's supposed to do. Wow. Um, I, 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 wow, I really wouldn't have guessed that Yomi would have been more than two players. Um, because to me, it's like there are two types of games. There's 1v1 games, and then there's like everything else, right? And as soon as you, every, as soon as you open the door to everything else, you're like, you're inviting in a whole host of problems, right? So like being able to make a game that's only one-on-one is like a huge advantage, Right, so like I want to lean. In, generally speaking, I want to like lean into that as much as possible. But wow, two v two Yomi's blowing your mind. Oh well, two v two is fine. <laughs> I don't mean one v one people. I mean two sides. Is that what four player Yomi is? It's two v two. It's two v two. It's like uh, oh, okay, that's fine. That no, that sounds fun. Right? Not four. Not it's not, not some... one v one v one v one. Yeah, what... exactly. It's not four player free for all. No, okay. Yomi does not work that. It can't work. Yeah, that yeah, way. exactly. Because I'm like, uh, that's why I was like, how could it be more than two players? That sounds crazy. Okay, two, two v two is. 20. Do you know Marvel versus Capcom style of video games? Uh, in, in those, you have like a main character. Here's the opponent's main character, but then we each have like a backup character that's right. off screen okay. that can be called in to do one move, or we could switch character. We, I could switch which one is my main. Right. So that's what's going on in the two v two Yomi mode. It's, it's like I have me and my partner. Now I'm in there. I'm doing moves. My partner can jump in and do like one thing here mm-hmm. and there, and then we can switch. And there's some mechanics that that make us want to switch and help us do a combo together and okay. that sort of thing. That's cool. You know, it's funny as I was saying this though. There's this crazy irony that so the game I'm working on, Offworld Trading Company, is the only RTS I've played that works well as a four-player free-for-all game. Oh yeah, is there a trick or something that? Uh, yeah, there's no combat. Right, there's no like core zero sum gameplay of like, um, like I am going to go take your stuff. Right? Yeah. So would would you say it's a, it's working for kind of the same reasons that poker works? Like, because in poker you don't yeah sure. you don't directly attack someone and knock them out or whatever. Yeah. It, it, yeah. You're you're um, more limited in how you can. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's. Um, so is Gatan would be another comparison, right? Like, yeah. Like, so is Gatan, if there's an issue with that, it's in the negotiation phase of, like, okay, so then you're, like, all doing that argument of, like, oh, I'm not in the lead, he's in the lead, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But, like, in an RTS, you don't have time to talk. It's, you know, it's real time, keeps going. The The comparison is more like the robber, right? Like, you know, the robber can hurt someone quite a bit in, in Gatan, and, like, using it correctly against the right player is a very important part of the game, but you can't just use the robber whenever you want to. Right, you have very limited times when you can use the robber. So in in off world, there is a little bit of, of ways to hurt someone. There's a black market where you can buy like a, a dynamite or a mutiny or an EMP, and all these things could like a mutiny means you like you steal someone's building for two minutes of real time, right? But every time someone buys something on the black market, it jumps in price globally, right? 
So that thing or all things? The the mutiny does. Like the, the thing we just bought. Yeah, the yeah. mutiny is three thousand. If I buy it now, it's five thousand. Right. The next time someone buys it, it's eight thousand. It's that way for everyone. Right. So it's like realistically, over the course of a game, each of those items is going to be used like five times. Right. Um, like. You know, imagine if in StarCraft, like, every time you bought a Marine, like, the price doubled, right? Like, eventually the game would just fall apart because it's not suited for that. But it's yeah. the, the whole point is, like, that's there so the black market is, you know, a secondary part of the game. Did you think about the robber when you came up with that? Or did, was that just a new analogy on the fly here? Well, I've, I've given this analogy before. I don't know if what I don't remember what I was thinking. Which when came I, first? Yeah, yeah. Which you know, okay. I mean, I definitely played Catan before I came up with this idea, so I'm sure it was you know in my head sure, somewhere. Sure. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's just it's funny because yeah, I don't I don't like playing. The, it's maybe it's similar to the issue that a lot of co-op games have in that um, they have like that mastermind problem that sometimes makes them not fun to play with the wrong group of people. I know all about it. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, four-player co-op games on a computer can be fantastic, right? You know, like Left 4 Dead or whatever, right? Because... because so The real-time element yeah, I mean, solves that. Everyone, you have to, everyone has to perform. Like, I can tell you what to do, but that's actually, you know, I'm not playing your part for you, right? right. And so, like, in a four-player free-for-all and, and off-world, it's like... Well, it's it's a real time game. We don't have time to like bicker over the di- diplomatic aspect of it. So, um, so anyway, the, the the issue with diplomacy is something I, I think about a lot. It's, it's also something that's been a problem in like the Civ games, like forever. Um, like you know, writing diplomatic AI is just like always a nightmare. Like there's no there's no right way to do it. That's not going to make every type of player happy. So, yeah, um, two player two sided games. I guess that's the right way to phrase it. Are, ah, are great. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, team games are fun. You know, those are good. Um, cool. Uh, probably, I guess the last thing to talk about then, I guess, would be Codex. Um, Codex or Fantasy Strike? We've already talked about Fantasy Strike. I guess Codex yeah, is left. Right. Yeah. Sure. So, what about Codex? Um, so, you've been working on this game for ever, forever. Yeah. <laughs> it what you did. What I remember you describing it as originally is you were. It was kind of like you're taking some aspects from Magic. Not the business model. <laughs> I'm sure you'll you want to make sure everyone knows. But you're you're taking some aspects from Magic, but your your metaphor is sort of like RTS games. Is that right, or is that changed? Well, that's true, but uh, the mission was never to make it like RTS games. Okay. Uh, it was actually originally not themed that way at all. It was originally themed more like an MMO, mm. like World of Warcraft style thing. Okay. Uh, so th- I think the very first thing was. In Magic, I liked Magic. Uh, mm-hmm. Magic every year they would release these four worlds decks, which are the constructed decks by um, not actually literally the top four players in the tournament because sometimes uh, like number one and two would be the same. So the, the top four different decks that were in the tournament that year. And you could buy those decks for $10 and they had different card backs and everything else because so, they don't want you to you know buy expensive cards for $10 or their business model. But whatever, you could play those decks. You could play the same decks mm. that world champions played against each other in a tournament. And yeah. I really liked that. I thought it was a lot... I thought it was their most interesting product. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I thought, well, why don't I make a game that sort of has some... It's in the vein of magic. But uh, like these worlds decks, you could just immediately have something interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the, the very first thing. And the other thing that was in there was like, uh, I really like characters, and Magic didn't have any characters. You know, they have planeswalkers now. They've tried to kind of staple on some characters, but 
can we have some heroes in there, some characters that all play differently? How would we do that? How would we incorporate um, that into the game? Uh, that was actually very difficult to do. It took me years to figure out how to incorporate heroes into a game to make them better than if they weren't there. We had a lot of ways of doing it where you're like, these heroes are annoying and garbage and too many rules. And, uh, but I wanted to do it one way or another. Also, from the very beginning, I wanted uh, resources to be non-random because I think it's stupid if you lose the game through that kind of randomness. I'm okay with randomness in games, but not the kind where you just you just lose like through no fault of your own. So I knew I wanted to change the resource system. Um, but then the next thing, the thing that just took years and years to ever get anywhere on was that in video games like in Street Fighter or StarCraft, the, the thing you're playing, whether it's Blanca or Zerg, is something that you can play for for years and years. There's so much to it. There's so much to study, so much nuance in how you execute your strategy. That It's not like people get bored of Zerg or whatever. And people mm-hmm. play Ken and Street Fighter for 10 years or something, and they're perfectly happy with that. But even fans of Magic the Gathering would say they wouldn't want to play the same deck for 10 years. Right. They might play the same deck style, but not literally the same deck. Uh, and, and I thought, well, well, why is that? Uh, in Magic, they, wa- they want to give you new cards all the time and have you buy new cards all the time and have strategies change. And that's fine. I'm not, I'm not against that. I don't think that's bad or anything. That's one way of doing it. But what about doing it a different way? What about something more like chess uh, or really what Yomi has turned into where it's trying to stabilize, it's trying to narrow down, uh, trying to be so polished it can stay in the same state for a long time. How could you make that kind of game where I don't have to release an update every, you know, three months to keep Mm -hmm. it interesting? Uh, I mean, maybe I would, but but I I don't have to. How could you make the deck so interesting that you could play it for 10 years? Uh... That's a super hard problem. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned that to a guy who uh, worked at Wizards of the Coast. I, I remember at GDC there was like actually three of them that all worked for Wizards of the Coast. Or, or four maybe. All of them thought it was the stupidest thing I had ever heard and they just like walked away. Except one guy who was the highest ranking of them. And he said, that's an interesting problem. Really hard. I don't know of any way you could ever solve that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, you know, I talked with him and that's... Again, spent years on it. How, how do you take... It, magic is so complicated mm-hmm. that if your answer is to make a more complicated game, uh, you're kind of already done. Mm-hmm. But then... I don't know. Do you see what I'm getting at? Mm-hmm. Like, you, you've got a deck of cards. You're going to play it for 10 years. How's it going to work? Right. Uh, my first thought was that we needed to add a new a new layer on top of the game that allows you to have more nuance. That You asked me why I like real-time games at one point, point. I said because I can move my character back and forth a little bit, or I can change the timing a little bit, but I can't really do that with cards. They're so discreet. Could I have another resource on top of the cards, maybe, so that I can pump this one up, pump that one up? Like Even though I'm playing the same cards, they're working out in a different way because I'm spending my resource differently, and so are you. Maybe the resource could be used to counter as counter spells. I really liked how interactive counter spells are. Every time you do something, I could interact with it and stop it. So maybe we could come up with a new resource that's you know poured on top of the whole game that can affect everything and counter everything. That was my first attempt, and um, it really went very badly. So after playing, if you played one game of that game, you'd just be exhausted, mentally exhausted, mm-hmm. sweating, wanting to go to sleep or something. <laughs> uh 
It'd be a tricky thing for a designer. Like you can you get all these great rules in there, and they're like, oh, there's all this interesting interplay, and then like you start playing the game, and it's just like, it you know, it's just it's like you can prove that's a good game, but you try, yeah, it was very brain, it was very deep. crazy. Like yeah, I think people who haven't thought about making games might think that it would be very difficult to make something deep, but yeah, I mean, making that game deep wasn't that hard. It was just making it. Uh, bearable to play yeah. so uh so the game flow is terrible also do, do you know lanowar elves and magic it, it's mm-hmm. a simple card it just it costs one green mana it's mm-hmm. a one one and you can uh tap it to get one mana okay so a common turn first turn would be like play a forest and then use it to play a lanowar elf so in our game the equivalent of that it would be like okay i'm gonna play with a thing that's sort of like lanowar elf and then the other player's like, oh, hold on, wait a minute, let me think if I want to use my resources to maybe counter that, and yeah. like, we haven't even gotten anywhere, and now there's, <laughs> uh, it was it was horrible. So I, I was like, this entire concept, everything about this is garbage. We mm. need to do nothing like this. We need a completely <laughs> different solution to this. What if we went wide instead of deep? Uh-huh. Like, like, isn't the problem that when I only have a deck of cards, it's just not enough cards if it just had more variety somewhere i could pull from to make things different and i was really inspired by this crazy thing i bet you've never heard of called momir vig basic (laughs) it's a ridiculous thing in magic the gathering they they made a bunch of uh i forget the word avatars or something character cards character cards that were kind of a joke format and the card would give you a different number of hit points different starting size hand and one ability and so you just had that ability the whole time so they've made a bunch of these things, like more than 30 of them, and they're not balanced, they're just whatever. But one of them was so crazy. People love this thing so much, they made an entire format out of playing only this thing. And this guy, this special character was called Momir Vig. He says, you can spend, uh, oh, you have to, oh, let's see. Uh, you spend X mana and tap him, and then put into play a random card from all of Magic the Gathering that costs X. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. So like the set of, you know, the thousand cards that cost six mana or something. So in practice, you would have... So in the online version, they were the actually... On, well, the online version, sure. Does that does it only really exist in the online version? I'm actually not sure if it exists in physical form okay, or not because that seems impossible. maybe it doesn't but it does in the online okay, version all right, so that's a different thing there, there, there were all the other ones that did exist in physical yeah. as far as i know but so people love this thing and they played something called momir vig basic where their entire deck is only lands just just blank cards basically uh-huh. and the the whole game is just summoning random shit from from this momir vig guy and i yeah. thought okay they're getting all the variety they're yeah. they're getting no, I, I can see that being it's a thing. It's kind of crazy, but sure, what the heck, right? I mean... So that really opened my, my mind to, like, okay, can we get way more cards in here? That's... Like, I was thinking maybe we have, like, a sideboard of, like, 10 or 15 cards that you could have in addition to your deck and pull those in the game. I even had a RTS... Before I even wanted an RTS theme, I was thinking, like, oh, you know, what if there was, like, three tech buildings and they corresponded each to five extra cards you could pull in? But after seeing that Momir Vig thing, I was like, holy crap, they're on a whole new level of, like, 10,000 cards you could get? And I'm thinking 15? Maybe that's been the whole problem. I've been thinking too small. Uh, so I then I started thinking about this this whole concept of what if you built your deck as you play 
from your sideboard, and it wasn't 15 cards. It was like a shitload of cards. Uh, I've showed you a version where it was actually twice as many cards as we ended up mm-hmm. shipping with in the final version. Um, but so how? Did, but how did those cards come into? Like I remember you, they were on. They were in like folders, basically. Yeah, they were right? folder binders. And when you bring them in, like, is there a random aspect, or you're you're just picking from that whole set? So you can pick from the whole set. Uh, how many cards is that? It's a. Uh, 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 it's four pages, each with nine slots. On both sides? No, I mean, I'm I'm calling a page like a front. There are four fronts of pages. Okay, so it's 36 cards? Yeah, well, times two, because there's a second copy in each slot. Okay, so it's uh, 72, 72 cards? Okay. 72 cards. And so you might think, oh, 72 cards is really overwhelming. But in actual practice, well, so a couple answers. One, you can play another mode where you only have one-third of those cards to learn the game, and okay. that's way less overwhelming. Uh, but two, you don't really look among 72 cards. First of all, there's 36 slots, so you're looking at 36, not 72. But you're not even looking at 36. Even though you could technically pull any of them, because of the way the game flows, it would just make no sense to uh, get late-game cards, like, turn one. Okay. So you're really... you're. Oh, yeah, so it's gated by, uh, in the final shipping game, there's tech buildings, a tech 1, 2, and 3, and cards that correspond to that. So you early game, you probably want the tech 1 cards. There's mm-hmm. only six of those. Okay. And then you can also have heroes. You have three different heroes, and each one has its own spells. So if you wanted to have, let's say, Grave Stormborn, one of the heroes, uh, he only had, all heroes only have four spells. One of them is an ultimate spell, though, and they need to be max level. Probably you don't want that one right off the bat. So really you're only looking at the three spells. If you're thinking about using Grave, uh-huh. you'd probably look at three spells and the six tech ones. So that makes it much more manageable. Um, but this whole thing of building your deck as you go just made there be so much to it. Like the, the Fog of War aspect of like having a certain build order one mm-hmm. time, but you don't want to do that every time because then they could build their deck specifically to beat you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, even early on, it showed a lot of promise of how to have the same, like, even though you're playing with the same set of cards over and over and over, it was playing out just radically different over and over. And there were a lot more in-game decisions that mattered than in in Magic Dets versus each other, where a lot of the time it's, it's kind of like a script, any given matchup is, uh, has fewer decisions. Mm-hmm. They decided to have a lot of their decisions before the before game starts. The game, right. yeah. And I wanted to have as few decisions as possible before the game starts. That That's the big fundamental shift here, is in the fighting game world, if I gave you a matchup chart and I said, you know, this character, character A versus character B, is like a 8-2 matchup. Like, if we played 10 times, you know, yeah. you'd win 8 and I'd win 2. That's bad. That's the thing we're trying to fix. Yeah. And the more of those bad matchups, like, if you get too many of those, the game's a joke. Right. Uh, whereas in the card game world, um, that's seen as good and it's called a metagame like the idea is to have you want a bunch of mismatched decks and mm-hmm. and the goal is to figure out how to build the right deck that beats all of those decks example i like to give which it sounds made up but it's actually a real thing that uh, my friend experienced there was a goblin deck at one point in magic that he built it in such an extreme way with protection from uh blue in the main or no is it red or blue whatever uh blue i think in the main deck, like a crazy hate cards that you would only want in a certain matchup that he would just put in the deck, not even in the sideboard. And the whole point of it was that 
the metagame he expected to encounter was mostly a certain type of deck, and he was going to have like 9-1 matchups to smash it, yeah. and then lose 1-9 to anything else. Yeah. Uh, very fragile deck, but because it was the, a metagame call, this guy ended up getting second in that tournament, and he, he said that it was miserable because 100% of the games he played were stupid. Yeah. There was no... Well, real... it encourages that type of play, right? Like, you want all or nothing, basically. So Yeah, and he so he's like, I did play to win. I did the best thing that I could to win that tournament, and I got pretty close, and all the gameplay was terrible. So yeah. this is an example of how like I wanted to do the complete opposite. I want your character selection to be entirely based on what you like, what you think is fun, what playstyle you want, and zero about you trying to win. So that you can have all these heroes that you can choose be roughly equal in, in power. Yeah. Uh, and then a lot a lot of decisions in game. Right. Cool. Um I remember you made also made a change that involved uh, being able to play the game asynchronously. Did right. that, that stick? Yes, it did. And that probably I forget if that added two years or a year and a half or something. Yeah, so uh I was thinking how if a game was able to be played asynchronously once it's a digital version. Oh that's huge. not that's not just like ten percent better. Oh, huge. It's like it's I I it's call now it viable. Basically. Transformationally yeah. better. Like this it's a whole different thing because it can be played while you're in line instead of not being yeah. played I while mean, you're in line. I mean it was so obvious like that once Blizzard started working on, on Hearthstone that like that that just looks like exactly well. This the type this of, predates Hearthstone. No, no, I know, but like it's so obvious that's the type of decision that they would make. Is like, look, this counter stuff just ruins this as a you know as a digital game, right? Like, you know, we have to get we have to get rid of that. So, so I started thinking about that, and I was like, well, it, okay, it makes total sense to make an asynchronous game. Maybe I'll do that someday. Obviously, not Codex because Codex is like the as far opposite as you can get. You know, Magic is as far opposite as you can get. You're constantly countering and using instants. And Codex was the same way. Uh, so I was thinking I would do it, uh, you know, some other game. And I was uh, tested Codex actually at the Game Developers Conference with the conference associates. Mm-hmm. And a question that they, this multiple people just kept independently asking me was, hey, on this card here, it says that you could spend two mana to do a thing or something, or two gold. Can I do that, like, any time, like, as an instant, or is it, like, only on my turn? Mm-hmm. And every time I go, well, it says an instant, you know, like in Magic. Right. And after I answered that question like 10 times, it finally occurred to me, I could have just told them anything. What if I had just told them they could only do it on their own turn? They wouldn't have even given it a second thought. And then I was like, wait, maybe Codex could be uh, asynchronous? Mm-hmm. So that we did as a thought experiment. We're like, oh, I might ruin the game, but just, you know, think it through. What would we do? So a ton of instance, we could just immediately remove, and it wouldn't have made any difference, really. Mm-hmm. There's some strategy where you're trying to do tricks with the instance, but what we quickly found in testing is that 90% of the time when we removed the, the ability to play stuff as instance, uh, all it did was change the correct way of doing things. Like mm-hmm. it, There wasn't actually strategy when there was a back-and-forth thing, because there was just a certain way to do it, and you always did it. And only in a few cases, like 10%, was there real strategy involved with, with the instance. So we're like, can we just have it be 10% less deep? Yeah. We'll make it up somewhere else. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's always some little thing that you're like, oh, that was kind of nice, but like, you know, yeah. we have to take the bigger the bigger leap forward. Right? I was actually surprised. I thought it would be more like 90% of the time you were doing instance, there was strategy and we would miss it and we would just say, this is horrible. Yeah. But we, we didn't. There were very few of those. So, like do I you said. Have a, I mean, do you have any high level sense of like why that was? 
Well, uh, do you, have you played much? Do you know Magic well, or I don't know? Uh, like I, I, I played some medium, yeah. Okay. Um, so the the stack, like I do a thing, and now it hasn't yep. happened yet. It's on the stack, yep. and now you do a thing. It it's just the nature of the stack that there is a certain way that you want to do, do abilities. Right. So. Yep. Uh, I think it feels like you're being really clever when you're putting things on the stack at the right time above the other thing. But when you see the situation over and over, you start to realize, like, oh, it's just a procedure. It's... Yeah. So, I don't know. I think I was fooled as a player by thinking that there was more to it than there really was. I mean, it's a turn-based process, but the whole card game is a turn-based process anyway, right? So, you need, like, a turn-based process inside the turn-based yeah. process, right? Like, you know, turns are bad already, so, you know, like... Uh... You don't need to add micro turns. Um, yeah. Removing all the instants was very easy. Mm-hmm. Took very little time. Uh, just kind of worked. So then you're wondering, well, what took years then? <laughs> so it's combat. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, combat kicked my ass trying to make that now, work asynchronously. To, to me, so asynchronous can mean a couple different things. Does this mean it's like essentially Hearthstone where like when, when it's your turn, the other player can like literally walk away from the table and like they, they, there's nothing they can do and that, that's fine. Or is it asynchronous in the sense of like Race for the Galaxy where like both people can be taking actions at the same time? Or like in Yomi, I guess, obviously, where you're both playing a card at the same time. Which, which one Which one is it? Uh, it's, it's like Yomi or uh, it's not like Race for the Galaxy. Like, it's like Hearthstone in that... Like well, it's it's my turn, it's, yeah, and I'm taking actions, but you don't need to do anything. Okay, so that's, that's is that what you mean by asynch- asynchronous? Or so um, when I'm taking my turn, how many times do I have to stop to wait for you? Yes. Right. So in what you could say zero times, I could get through the whole turn. Now, what if you said one time? Mm-hmm. Well, that's still okay. Maybe you know, maybe I could take half a turn and wait for you for something, and half a turn. And that could still be viable to play on your phone, right? But when it's a hundred times, then it's not viable. Yeah. So I think there, I think it's not quite so black and white. There's some give, and so we really experimented with like, well, what if it was? So it's, asyn- it's asynchronous, but it's not simultaneous. No, no, it is not simultaneous. It was yeah. never okay. that. Okay. okay. Um, but we did experiment with what? What if it was uh, get through your turn, except you had to wait two times? Mm-hmm. What about one time? Well, it turns out one time. Is way better flow than two times. Not twice as good. Way, way better. And then zero times is way, way better than that. Like <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying? Sure. So we tried to make those work, and it's really hard because you want to. You you need some way to block like these attacks. Okay. So we tried to like automate it or something, but all the rules of automating it are very complicated and right. easier to do with the digital game where it just happens automatically. <laughs> so, all right. So what did you yeah. do then? Um, so, I mean, after several failed versions, I came up with this thing called the patrol zone where I'm like, that was the automated thing. Where like, what if you assigned your blockers? You said, these are the guys that will block. I'll put them in this special zone. And then there's some rules about how they block. They, they, they like basically take the way that a person, a human would want to block and then kind of simplify that. They they don't do it perfectly, but they kind of do what you want. Mm Mm-hmm. And we had version. We had a version where if I did, I mean, I'm not going to tell you the exact rules, but if I said this is how these things work, you'd say, "Oh yeah, I get it." Mm-hmm. Uh, and we play tested it, and people kind of liked it. And then they would point out, "Well, what about like in this one edge case?" 
and we'd realize, oh, geez, the, the statement of the rules we said, it wasn't really complete enough. And the deeper you dug, the, the more and more problems. And it became deeply problematic. And I started, to, I started to get a feeling as a designer, this is not, people are not finding bugs. Mm-hmm. This is just fucked. Like, right. this is just fundamentally never going to work. And they're realizing that slowly. Mm-hmm. But it sure looks good 90% of the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in trying to deal with, just how fundamentally fucked it was uh eventually i was like this patrol zone thing this is never gonna work like i know you guys think it's fun but i'm beaten i guess we won't do it like i guess we'll have to do a thing where uh you let them block how they want like you do have to wait once per turn or we'll do a thing where like you have to attack at the very end of your turn and then the very beginning of your turn is the block phase is you resolve it and then yeah, yeah. You, but then you have to resolve some stuff about my attacks and that's a little weird but yeah. it sort of works uh so we went down that road for a long time and um then uh, this is kind of a strange a uh, strange little detail but uh i was thinking back to those patrol zone days and going you know people really liked it even though it didn't work <laughs> they liked it and they kept asking me for it they're like hey remember that patrol zone thing? could you maybe bring that back mm-hmm. uh so it was in the back of my mind even though i gave it up on it as impossible but the the strange details I, one time i was sick i was like kind of delirious almost mm-hmm. i was so sick and i uh it's happened to be reading something about prismata which is another uh mm-hmm. good uh, go play prismata everyone their their developers are great guys so Reading about that, and I thought, oh, they they've solved this this problem that uh, that I've been struggling with, but actually, I was just uh, too sick. <laughs> I wasn't thinking straight, and they didn't solve. They were it didn't it didn't apply at all. Uh-huh. But just because for a moment I believed it was possible, mm-hmm. it kind of ignited a fire in me to think about it again. I was like, oh, that that was such a great feeling I had when I thought this patrol zone thing people were asking was possible again. Why don't I why don't I wait until I'm well and think about it more clearly? And I did, and I kind of cracked the nut, which uh, I'll tell you what the the one thing that, that made it work was. One of the reasons that it always sucked so much the first time around is that we needed to have algorithms or rules or something that said how these guys blocked. Mm-hmm. And we needed them because it was so it was such a big deal if they blocked one way versus another way uh-huh. uh, if a 4-4 four, four creature fights a 3-3 three, three creature the 3-3 three, three creature will die and the 4-4 four, four creature the bigger one will have all of their hit points yeah. left just like in magic so you had all the rules left over from back when the human was making these decisions yes yes yeah okay I, yeah i see where this is going yeah so the in my example here the bigger one lived and keeps all of its hit points yeah so that's i bring that up to, to show how important it is like whether you have an entire fresh four four or the four four is dead makes a huge difference. So these yeah. rules matter a lot. Uh, and why is it that the four four has all of its hit points? In mm-hmm. in my example, because you could do it a different way where the four four took it, it took three damage and it has three damage on it forever. Mm-hmm. But it didn't work that way, and it, partly because in magic it doesn't work that way, and it kind of like magic. Mm-hmm. Another reason is that if you did have to put damage on it, you'd have to track it with physical objects, and I didn't like that either. And then another one that really haunted me, that this this guy he completely threw me off for years, and it's not his fault, but he worked at Wizards of the Coast, and he told me that they had prototyped a lot of different card games that they thought about making, and they tried 
a bunch that had persistent damage. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Magic doesn't, where all the things heal every time. Yeah. And they found that the, all the games they prototyped that had the persistent damage, they didn't like. And it wasn't even the logistics. It was that when you made a really good decision and you got you, you got a good trade, you just barely get anything out of yeah, it. Yeah, it wasn't satisfying. Small. Right, yeah. uh, so, that, so they didn't like it, and they wanted you to get a big advantage. But here I am with my patrols, and I'm thinking, that's the whole problem. That's the reason why we have to have all these complicated rules, is because it matters so damn much. Yeah. It matters too much. Yeah. What, if, uh, what if we had persistent damage? Yeah. Yeah. And as soon as I flipped that switch, everything just fell into place. All the rules became much simpler. It just worked. Uh, at that point, it... You know, it was a lot about, like, does the attacker or defender have advantage? And like, if we just made the rules as simple as possible and allowed persistent damage, the end result was that the defender was barely behind in the power level we needed. Mm-hmm. And so but we're like, oh, it's really close. The game almost works. Uh, and the next breakthrough is, like, this is really inelegant, but what if one of those slots gave you one armor, like an extra hit point, just if you're in the slot? Mm-hmm. Turns out that was enough that now the defender was was doing really good, and now, yeah. now it all works. And we're like, oh, it's really inelegant. Give you an armor in this slot, but not the rest. And I thought, hey, I'm going to fool everyone. I'm going to trick them by saying all the slots give you something, because now it doesn't feel like this is an exception. Mm-hmm. It's just that the armor one is super important yeah. and is needed to make this combat system work. Uh, so we came up with bonuses for all the slots. It turns out that we had a little trouble with uh, how many cards you draw in the game, and uh, by having one of the slots allow you to get some extra cards, it, it just kind of randomly solved another problem. You know, we fell into that, didn't even expect it. And then it all worked. So it, it just all hinged on me finally realizing that persistent damage worked, as opposed to not. And when we tested it, it was a lot less annoying than I thought. Because uh, I imagine that you... I mean, I played World of Warcraft trading card game, and that has persistent damage on everything. But for some reason, in Codex, it just you don't have to mark it that much. Because a lot of the times, like you know what the outcome will be, and so you don't do it. Or mm-hmm. you wait until it's like a thing that will kill. You don't really have to track it that much. Right. It kind of just works. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that you'd gotten into a position where... You know your your rules are oriented around players making those choices. You know, and it's hard to it's hard to automate that if those choices matter, right? And um, um, of course, they still matter, but just like there's more leeway when. Uh... Well, yeah, but they, I mean, they they don't matter as much, right? <laughs> like it's it, clearly right. So, like you you would you essentially had to find a way to like walk back the path. Right. Like, you know, we talk about, you know, you go one direction and at some point, you know, you've passed a point where um, you're now this this is the this is the game you have. Right. And like you walk back to a different branch, basically, where like, yeah, once you have persistent damage, like the whole game can be different now. So I guess a, a way to another way of explaining why this worked uh, that's shorter, more succinct would be to say that if it's an asynchronous game and you are attacking mm-hmm. and you are making the decisions of exactly what attacks what then you can set up perfect trades on everything. Yeah. And you can just get insane advantage. Uh, so we can... The first that feels it, good at... I mean, I don't know if this applies, but generally that feels good in the, like, I'm the actor, I'm making the decisions, I'm going to, you know, choose the best outcome I can, you know, that the rules allow me in this time, right? Like, that's, yeah, that, that's that, good. That does feel good. And so to make it actually work and not fall apart, we need the defender 
to not just get completely wrecked. Like, mm-hmm. that's why we needed all these rules about, well, okay, well, they have to block in a way to not get traded in the worst possible way. Right. Uh, so, so that's the issue right there. Now you need too many rules. And all going down the rabbit hole of, oh, can't we, you know, come up with more rules of how they block? It just never worked. So the yeah. better answer is, is the start with what you said, that it feels good if you can choose exactly what you attack. Yeah. Yes, it does. So you should be able to. And yeah. now we need... Some other way to make that work. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Less than insane advantage. Less than insane advantage. Cool. It's funny because that the whole thing of like whoever's turn it is, they're in the driver's seat, they're taking action. Like that's one of kind of like almost those just rules of thumb of like by default that should always kind of be what's going on, right? But like oftentimes, like well, you were inheriting a lot for magic. Yeah, right? and, and it threw were, me off. You were <laughs> swimming in the water of magic, <laughs> yeah. and it's just hard to like know what parts you got to keep and what parts you don't have to, right? So We ended up drifting very far from them, mm-hmm. really. And you know, I, it's it's like almost my mistake that we didn't drift sure. sooner. Like, it, you know, it took a long time to realize that assumptions I had about things in magic were just not working for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. All right, well, I think maybe we've... <laughs> maybe we've covered enough for, uh, for today. Um Cool. Well, I think this was, I think this came out really well. Um, thanks for thanks for sitting through this. Thanks for having me.